if you know a millennial, you are a millennial and you don't know this, we finished our last class this past Monday, so we're taking a break for the summer. So no more millennials until after Labor Day as far as Monday night millennials are concerned. So I want to make you aware of that. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles if you would. Yes. Wonderful. Amen. Praise God. We prayed for her last week, uh, Catfish's daughter, so uh, down in Georgia. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Awesome. Awesome. Isaiah chapter 55 is where we're going to be today. Yesterday was an interesting day for me. Uh, I had a conversation with a good friend. And uh, I don't know if it was the conversation or just something that it jarred inside of me. But uh, how many ever saw the movie The Lion King? If you had kids during the 90s growing up, you definitely saw Lion King probably repeatedly. And uh, although I am kind of a, a Disney fan, I, I, I have no allusions to the fact that the writers of Disney were trying to do anything scriptural or spiritual. Anything that happened, I'm sure, was an accident. But... There was one particular part in the movie that's always resonated with me. And it's kind of like I was trying to think about what happened yesterday for me. And there's one part where Rafiki comes up to young Simba who doesn't really know or has tried to run away from who he is. And he hits him over the head. And he says, remember who you are. And all of a sudden, memories come flowing to Simba about the fact that he's the son of a king. And he's called to step into the place that he was destined to be in because since his father had died and he had left because of his thought. He hadn't truly failed, but he had been lied to. Listen to me. He had been lied to and he believed a lie and therefore he abdicated his place. And in abdicating his place, the enemy rushed in. And everybody in the kingdom had fallen into despair. And it took a wise man to kind of hit Simba over the head, so to speak, and say, Hey, remember who you are. And in some form or fashion yesterday, by the end of the day, the Holy Spirit kind of, I feel like, hit me over the head <laughs> in a good way and said, remember who you are. You're a child of the King. You've got a destiny. You've got a place. If you abdicate your place, if you run from your destiny, even if you think you failed, even if you think that's a lie, you can believe a lie. And here's the thing. If you believe a lie, it becomes a reality to you. Because you will direct your affairs on the basis of the lie that you believe. And so it's an important thing that we begin to understand who God has called us to be. Who we truly are. In Isaiah chapter 55, which is Isaiah 53 through 56 is one of my favorite blocks of, of, of Scripture in all of the Old Testament. But Isaiah 55 particularly is something that the Holy Spirit was just kind of speaking to me. It says, Ho, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Now here's a fact. Everybody's thirsty. Whether you realize it or not, everybody's thirsty because the psalmist says that this is a land that we live in that is a dry and thirsty land and there is no true water here. Now, there are things in our culture and in our world that are marketed as being refreshing. They're marketed as something that can satisfy you. But the psalmist says there's no true refreshing anywhere in this world. There's no true satisfaction in any source that you can run to in this world. We're in a dry and thirsty land. This world is a dry and thirsty land. And even though it may market things as you get this or you achieve this or, or you attain to this, then you'll be satisfied. When you get there, you'll find that it doesn't truly feel the longing on the inside of you because this is a dry and thirsty land. There's, there is no real water here. 
Now, Jeremiah said this about water. He said that God's people had committed two great sins. He said one of the sins is that they had forsaken the living God. They had walked away from the God who truly offered real life. But here's the thing. We cannot live in a vacuum. We, we think we can, but we can't. We were made, whether we realize it or not, we are made, the Bible says God's placed eternity in the heart of every human being. We're made to worship. And you're going to worship something. The people who won't bow their knee to the true God, they're bowing their knee either to someone else or to themselves. But we are made as worshipers. We have to fill that vacuum. The problem is, Jeremiah said that the people of Israel who were God's covenant people had forsaken the God who could truly satisfy them and instead had dug out for themselves cisterns that could hold no water. And so because of that, they were looking for refreshing. They were looking for satisfaction. They were looking for hope. They were looking for significance. They were looking for fulfillment. But, and they labored really hard to build something that could cause that water to flow, but because there's no real water here, and because they have forsaken the source of real water, their cisterns couldn't hold the water. Everything they had worked for, everything they had dug out, it didn't satisfy. So the fact is, everybody's thirsty. And God has given an invitation that's an open-ended one. In Isaiah 55, he said, hey, if you're thirsty, if you're hungry, come. Come. If you're weary, come. If there's something that you're lacking, come to me. Because I'm the one that can offer it. You know, I read a book recently that was given to me about a Christian man who was part of the USS Indianapolis. If you don't know the story of that, in World War II, it was sunk by a a, a German submarine, or a Japanese submarine, I'm sorry. And, and it went down, and there were a lot of survivors. The ones that did survive were, were lost at sea for a long time because of some miscommunication. They weren't even being looked for for a long time. And because of that, they, many people died of thirst, and, and many were eaten by sharks. It was just a horrific event. But one of the men was a Christian. He was actually from western Kentucky, from Callaway County. And he was a Christian, and he's written a book about his experience. And, and if you read the experience, you'll see how God sustained him through prayer and his faith. But... But at the end of the day, one of the riveting stories was people would be dying of thirst in an ocean filled with water. Problem was, they couldn't drink that water because it was salt water. It would kill them. But many of the people died because they got so thirsty that the water that would kill them looked like it would satisfy them, so they drank it anyway, and then they became delirious and they died. And if there's not a better illustration for what happens in this world, I can't, I can't find it. There are people dying of thirst surrounded by things that are supposed to satisfy them, and, and so they reach out and they begin to drink it. The problem is what they're drinking will kill them. The only way they could ever survive is if it actually rained. <laughs> and if it rained, then they would just do everything they could to drink in that because the rain, the water that came from above was fresh water. And that could sustain them and they could live. You see that? Now that's a real story. That's truth. Really happened. But man, there are so many people in our churches in the same way. We're, we're, we're trying to take in because we're, we're, what we're drinking can't satisfy us so we can drink and drink and drink from the wells of this world and still be thirsty. So we, we think we're, we're so thirsty so we're taking in the water around us but the water around us is killing us even though we don't realize it's driving us nuts. We're going crazy in the midst of it and the only water that can really keep us alive has to come from above. And the word here, God gives us an invitation. He said, if you're really thirsty, Come. Come buy wine and milk. It's without money. It's without price. See, you can't pay for it. You can't earn it. We're not good enough to do that. And that's good news. Because I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times... See, going back to that Lion King illustration. Any king... Do you know what makes somebody royalty? It's not that they do... It's not what they do. It's who they are. It's the bloodline. That's what makes them royalty. I mean, we see the news all the time of some royal grandson or royal son or royal daughter that gets caught in some type of scandal. It's a horrible thing. They, you know what they did, and we're not belittling that, but they're still an heir to the throne. Why? 
Not because of their actions, because of their bloodline. And see, we don't realize this, but we have a new bloodline. The Bible says we've been grafted into the vine. The blood of Jesus himself is what's cleansed us from all sin. We are the royal bloodline now because of who he is. It's not based on what we do. I'm not saying what we do is not important. It has its own significance and importance, but it's not what makes us who we are. And it's not what enables us to come to the well of the water of refreshment. See, the Bible says there is a river that flows from the throne of God. And it refreshes and brings healing everywhere it flows. That river is still flowing and that river has fresh water. And it will satisfy and quench every thirst. God will fill and feed every hunger, but you have to come to the right source. And you can't buy it and you can't earn it and you can't pay for it. And the good news is, nowhere you've been and nothing you have done can keep you away from it unless you believe the lie. Unless you believe that you've somehow forfeited the right to who you truly are. Unless you forget that you are a king's son, a king's daughter. But if you remember who you are and you get thirsty enough, there's an open-ended invitation to come and drink freely of the water of life. He goes on and he says this. He said, you can get it without money, without price. And then he asks a question that's a logical question. He says, why are you spending your money? In order to have money to spend, that means you've got to labor. So you could say, why are you laboring? Why are you working so hard? Why are you spending your money for what is not true bread? And why are you wasting your wages, the things that, that you brought in for what truly doesn't satisfy? Listen or incline your ear carefully to me. Eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Everybody's laboring for something. You're spending your time, you're, you're working for something. The question is, what are you working for? He says there's a lot of people who are spending all their time and all their energy and all their effort laboring for something that at the end of the day can't really feed them and can't really satisfy them, not where they really need it, not spiritually. You know, it's interesting as I read that, it made me think of the verse where Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, weighed down, and I'll give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when we think of that, we obviously get the picture in our mind of an oxen, you know, yoked together and the plow. And that, that's, that's good, but it's not really what would have come to mind in that day and time. It's not really what Jesus was talking about. See, when someone became a disciple of a rabbi, a teacher in that day, they were said to come under that rabbi's yoke. That yoke was his teaching. His doctrine. They had devote themselves to that teacher. They had devote themselves to his teaching. And so what Jesus is really saying here, he said, if, you, if you're just spinning your wheels and you're laboring away and you're burdened down and you're weighed down, come to me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Where's that rest come from? Take my teaching upon you. Devote yourself to my word. Devote yourself to my presence. Devote yourself to me. When you became a disciple of a rabbi, you basically lived with that rabbi. You, you were with him almost all the time. You were always together. And so Jesus is saying, come to me and stay with me. Apart from me, you don't have life. Apart from me, you can't have refreshing. Apart from me, you can't have satisfaction. But if you'll come to me, you're going to experience true life and true peace. Your hungers are going to be fulfilled and your needs are going to be met. You can get what you need if you'll come to me. Go anywhere else to receive hope or peace or satisfaction or fulfillment. You're always going to be disappointed. He also said, I love this last phrase here, let your soul, that's your inner being, delight itself, feast upon abundance. Abundance. I don't know about you, but I think we're all prone, and maybe it's just human nature, to think that God's only got so much to go around. Now, we theologically know better than that. In our minds, we know better. But I think that we're so used to that in life that even though theologically we know it's different, that experientially that's the way we, we live. 
As if God's only got so much to go around and if somebody around us gets blessed or somebody around us gets a prayer answered or somebody around us gets a needs med or, or if somebody else around us gets a, a special anointing or they're walking in a special calling, it's almost as if sometimes, maybe, maybe it's just me, maybe, maybe y'all never, but sometimes it's almost as if you think, well, I sure would have liked to have had something like that. Man, I've been praying for you to speak to me forever, God. I, I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I was, prophet was in this week, and I really thought you might speak to me, and you spoke to them, you spoke to them. That's awesome, God, thank you, but I, I didn't get anything. I did, you know, and it's almost like we get the idea that God's resources are limited, but they're not. God says when you come to me, you can let your inner being absolutely feast upon an abundance so I've got more than enough. I can satisfy and meet the need of everybody around you and still have more than enough with plenty left over to do everything that needs to be done in your life. You may be limited, but I'm not limited. You may be finite, but I'm infinite. You may be surrounded by impossibilities, but there is nothing that's impossible to me. And the Bible says that all things are possible if we can just believe that. Believe Him. Believe His Word. So let your soul delight itself. In the abundance that God gives. Verse 3 says, incline your ear. Give ear to me and come to me. Hear in your soul that inner part of you shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure, the steadfast mercies of David. Incline your ear. We've got to perk up and tune in and listen to what God's saying. You know, in Revelation it talks over and over again. Revelation 2 and 3 and the messages to the churches says, let him who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches. That tells me two things. Number one, the Spirit is speaking to the church. He's always speaking. You're a part of the church. So the Spirit's speaking, but number two, not everybody has an ear to hear. Everybody has ears, but not everybody has that kind of ear. But apparently it's possible to get that kind of ear because he commands it. And he's not going to command something that he won't enable. So he says, let him who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Here he says, incline your ear, perk up, give ear to me. You're giving ear to somebody. I promise you, you are. You may not be consciously thinking you are, but everybody's giving their ear to some voice. You're listening to, to, I don't know who your voice is that you're listening to, but we're giving ear to someone. And here's the thing. Notice what he says about this. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. So if we give ear to him, we live. And the more we give ear the more life we experience. The less we give ear, the less life we experience. So he said, incline to me. Here's the thing, you're not going to be listening well to two voices at the same time. Just like the Bible says, no man can serve two masters, you can't really hear two voices at once. You can't follow two directions at once. So you're going to have to choose which voice you want to listen to. And in order to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to cut out some of the other voices that are dominating your time and your attention. Now, God's not going to force you to do that. The thing is, you've got to decide what result you want. If you want life, you've got to give ear to Him. If you want other results, you can give ear to other voices. But if you want life, you've got to give ear to Him. Incline your ear and your soul, your inner being, will come alive. It will live. You know, there's a lot of Christians who are walking around physically alive and it just seems like emotionally and spiritually in every other way, we're just not alive. We've lost our enthusiasm. We've lost our passion. We've lost our hope. We've lost everything. We're alive physically. We're at church. We're going through the motions. We're doing the things, but there's nothing alive on the inside of us. You see, where are you, where's your ear? You see, you live when you incline your ear to what the Holy Spirit's saying. So incline your ear and your inner being will come alive. And then he talks about something that I think is very important. We kind of pass over this, move into something else, but I don't want to do that. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a testimony, an example, a witness to the people. A leader and commander for the people. He starts talking about David. 
I love the fact that he talks about David. For a different reason than maybe a lot of people like the fact that he talks about David. I like that David defeated Goliath. And I could, we, we preached it before. I could preach all about being a giant killer. I get everybody excited. I'm a, we're a ten steps to be a giant killer. But here's the thing. You've heard that before. You've heard it 15, 20 times before under different titles and different names, maybe with a few different steps thrown in, different variant for a different preacher or teacher. You've read it in books, and that's all good, and it's all appropriate, and it's all great, but that's not why I like David so much. Oh, well, Pastor, I know what it is. It's worship, man. You love worship, and David was a worship leader, and he wrote the Psalms, and I love that too. I do love worship. I love that David was a worship leader. I love that he was a musician. I love that he wrote so many of the Psalms. I do love that, but that's not why I like David so much. I like David so much because he failed so much. He was a mess. Now, I know that makes you uncomfortable. We don't want to talk about that, do we? But he was. And yet, the last verdict on David is in the book of Acts, not in the book of Psalms. And what the Bible says about David in the book of Acts, after everything was said and done, and boy, when I say David failed, I mean David failed monumentally. He didn't, he didn't believe in doing anything small, so when he messed up, he messed up big. And yet, Acts says David was a man after God's own heart. That's New Testament about David. That's God's opinion of David. So what was it about David? And here's what, we've, here's what I've always thought, and I kind of have a different, and it's true, but I kind of have a different take on it that the Lord just spoke to, to me. I've always thought he was a man after God's own heart, meaning that he liked the things God likes. He, he, he loved the things God loves, and, and that's all true. But I think we're missing a more obvious meaning. He was a man in pursuit. He pursued God. All day, every day, he was after God. He was running after Him. He was pursuing Him. He didn't always get it right. Sometimes he messed up really bad. But it never lasted very long. Because he couldn't stand it. He loved God's presence so much, it was like his bones were wasting away within him. And he even prayed that way. He said, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. You know, just, just cast me not away from your presence, O oh Lord. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I'm, I've got to come back after you. And because he was a man in pursuit, always in pursuit of the presence of God, God says he was a man after my heart. And man, God made a covenant with David. See, the focus is not the person. I just want you to understand something about the person. The focus is the covenant. Out of all the covenants in the Old Testament, you won't find a better one than David's. Oh man, God was extravagant towards David. He told him things he never told anybody else. He told David, he said, for all time and eternity, there's not going to fail to be someone from your line of descendants that's going to set and rule upon the throne of Israel. No other king ever got a promise like that. There were other good kings, by the way, besides David. Matter of fact, there were some who were better as far as righteousness goes. But no other king got that kind of promise, and God fulfilled it because Jesus came from the lineage of David, and he is the king of all kings, and he always sits upon the throne. Jesus came directly from his life. What an unbelievable, extravagant covenant. And it was an everlasting one. And he got that covenant because of his pursuit of the king. Here's the question. Who or what are you in pursuit of? Listen to me. I'm not talking about what you're passively pursuing. Because a lot of us passively pursue God. We'll all say, I love God, I'm, I'm, I'm after God. But we're, we're not really actively engaged in doing anything, so we're, we must be passively in pursuit. But we're actively pursuing something else. My question is, what are you actively pursuing? Because if it's anything but God, it will fail to satisfy you. David actively pursued God. And because of that, God made the most extravagant covenant in all of the Old Testament. Now, the good news is we have an even better covenant than David's. The new covenant's far better. But David was an example, he said, 
for all of my people. I want you to look at the way I treated David, God's saying here. I want you to understand, I want to do the same thing for you. You see, God took covenants seriously. We don't. I mean, if you bought a car, you bought a house, or you bought anything, you realize you've got to set aside a lot of time just to fill out paperwork. You're spending an hour and a half just filling out paperwork, triplicate, you know, more than triplicate. It's like everywhere. You're just signing papers, papers, signature, signature. You get tired of writing. Why do they do that? Because they know people break their promises all the time. They want to make sure that they've got your signature so they can come back if you fail to keep your end of the agreement or covenant. God took covenants very seriously. I love the covenant that he made with Abraham because when he made the covenant with Abraham, usually they would, each member of the covenant would divide an animal in two and then each member of the covenant would walk between the two pieces of the animal signifying same thing happens to me that happens to this animal if I fail to do what I'm obligated myself to in this covenant. But when Abraham was going to make the covenant, he prepared it and he got ready for everything and then God put Abraham, God did it, into a deep sleep. And while he was in this deep sleep, he saw like a smoking pot and a burning furnace that passed between the two parts of the animal. What that means is God himself alone took both God's side and Abraham's side of the covenant. And he said, I will be responsible to fulfill not just my end of the covenant, but Abraham, you're not, you can't do this. I already know that. And I want to bless you anyway, so I'm going to fulfill my side and your side of the covenant. And the Bible says in the book of Galatians that the covenant we have, that God sent His Spirit to redeem us, and Jesus came to redeem us from the, all the curse of the law, so that the blessing of who? Whose blessing? You read Galatians 3? The blessing of Abraham could come upon a people who previously, the Gentiles, had no covenant with God. That blessing that Abraham had was a blessing that came because of the covenant. And in the covenant, God said, I will fulfill both sides of the contract. And here's the good news, and it's something we miss, and, and religious people have a big problem with it. It's, it's what we, the unbelievable power of the grace of God. Jesus came and fulfilled our side of the covenant that we have with God. Because no matter how highly you want to think of yourself, God already knew that on your best day, you can't even get close to measuring up to the standards that He has. You can't fulfill the covenant so Jesus came spilled his blood for you for an everlasting covenant that's even better than David's covenant and he said I'm fulfilling your side now here's the only thing you've got to do you got to trust me put your faith in me believe me come to me and I'll satisfy your heart and that's the invitation that we have and God set David up as an example say look at him if you need proof that I'm going to keep my side of the covenant. Indeed, I've given him as a witness to the people, a leader, a commander of the people. Surely you shall call a nation you don't know. Nations who don't know you will run to you. Why? Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. God said, I'm blessing David with supernatural favor. Nations that he doesn't know are going to run to him, which is a big deal if you're a king over a nation. But how does that apply to us? God's saying, I'm going to give you supernatural favor through the covenant that I've given you, and it has nothing to do with you. It's because of the Lord your God. It's all because of the Lord your God. I'll give you favor. I'm going to do things that you couldn't do for yourself. I'm going to take you places that you couldn't get yourself, no matter how hard you tried. I love the last line in verse 5. He said, God has glorified you. He's put the weight, the reality of who He is within you. And upon you. There's something that you carry that you don't even realize you carry. Your body is the dwelling place, the temple of the Holy Spirit. The very glory of the Most High God rests in you. And we don't even know we're carrying it. Have you ever wondered why governments and entertainment industry and, and our world around us is so terrified of Christians? They've got the money. They've got the people in the high places. They've got all the mechanisms and all the machinery to do everything that they need to do. For the most part, the church doesn't have any of that. And yet, we're, if, you, if you look at the news, it seems like the church is the biggest threat the world thinks it has. I think they think the church is a bigger threat than terrorism sometimes. 
Why? They hold everything, they, it seems. What is it they're afraid of? They See, you carry something they can't understand. You care, I carry, the people of God carry in us the glory, the tangible reality, the weight of an almighty God. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 8 says, lives inside of a believer. And we, man, if we ever understood what we carry, we could change the world around us. But half time, we, we just go about our day as not even thinking about who we, again, remember who you are. But we don't. We don't think about who you are. He says he's letting, he's glorifying us. Now we get to the meat of this for, for what do we do to walk in the fullness of what God's called us to. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. There's something important in one sense of the word. We always have access to God. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. That's a fact. God will meet you anywhere. God's not as afraid of places as Christians are. He will meet people wherever they are. All he's got to do is find a hungry heart. Man, he found a hungry heart and a prodigal son in the middle of a pig pen. He can find people anywhere and he'll go wherever they are. So in one sense of the word, the presence of God is available anywhere. But there's also something very important about the moments when the Spirit of God speaks to you. The moment when the Spirit of God is moving. And manifesting, whether it's in a church service, whether it's in your prayer closet, wherever you're at. It's really important that when the Holy Spirit kind of nudges your heart, that you seek Him then. When the Holy Spirit's really pulling at you, that you call upon Him then. There's something about those moments that change everything. I don't know, I don't... Well, I don't, Lynn, give us a theological treatise on that. I don't understand it myself. I don't know. All I know is it's true. So seek the Lord while he may be found. Cry out, call upon him while he's near. But verse 7 goes with verse 6. You can't have one without the other. And we're in a generation right now that kind of wants to have verse 6 without verse 7. And you've got to have verse 7 if you want verse 6. Seek the Lord, call upon him, but let the wicked forsake his way and let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second and then we'll pick up on that and finish. If we're going to receive what God wants us to receive, we have to seek Him. We have to call upon Him. And, And listen, here's the good news. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Well, Pastor Lynn, when do I need to really go after God? Right now would be great. Well, when do you think God will move in my life? What season is the season of my blessing today? I don't feel anything. Didn't say anything about feeling anything. Charismatics got to get out of that, guys. I love charismatics. I am a charismatic, but that is one thing that's killing us. You have got to get out of that. I got to feel something. I don't have no goosebumps. The Spirit of God. I just wish the Spirit of God was here. Spirit of God's here every time two or more people show up in His name. Every single time. But I didn't feel anything. Doesn't matter whether you felt anything. He said He's there. It's about what He said, not what you feel. Why is that so important? Because if you're waiting to fill something, you may wait for a long, long time when you could have already entered into the present. Now's the appointed time. Today's the day. This is it. Go after God now. But don't think you're going to go after God and hold on to everything else too. If you really want what God's got, you're going to have to value Him over the other things that are destroying you. So you're going to have to, God's going to deal with those things. Now, trust me, I'm not going to deal with those things unless you talk to me about it. Because you, well, Pastor, I think you ought to deal with all. I talk about sin. If you listen close enough, I talk about sin. But here's the thing I ain't the Holy Ghost. I know that's not good English, but it's just truth. I'm not the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the Holy Ghost. And you see, the Holy Ghost is the one who changes people, not me and not you. So, So here's the thing you do need to understand this. The Holy Ghost is really good at his job. So when you come running to God, He starts coming after you. 
And when he starts coming after you, he loves you so much that he's going to say, hey, that thing right there, you know that attitude you've been holding on to for the last 23 years after since somebody hurt you? You're going to have to let that go if you want real freedom. And this is, let's do it today. Let's get rid of it. It's destroying you. You know that unforgiveness, that bitterness that you just can't seem to let go of, you know, where you were wronged? You've got to get rid of that now. It's time to let go. I've been dealing with you about it for, for a decade now. It's, now's the time. Let's, let me have it. It's, it's killing you. Let me have it. That sin that so easily besets you, that one thing that just keeps tripping you up, come run into me. I'm big enough to give you freedom. Let the wicked man forsake his ways. That's the things he does. And let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. The reason we do the things we do is because we think the way we think. And so God wants to deal with both of those things in your life. And He's plenty able to do it. Let him return to the Lord, the sovereign one, the one who's in control. And here's the good news. He didn't specify what it is you had done. He didn't specify what the thoughts were, how bad they were. He just simply said, if you'll come back to me, I will have mercy. And if you'll come back to your God, He will not just pardon, He will abundantly pardon. God's really good at this. He's really good at forgiving people. He's a whole lot better than the church is. And that's sad, but it's true. But he's really good at mercy. He's really good at forgiveness. He's really good at grace. He said, just come to me. Stop thinking the way you're thinking. Stop doing what you're doing. I can enable you to do that. Seek me, call on me. I'm ready to forgive you. I'm ready to release you. I'm ready to pardon you. Last thing. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. That means meaningless, vain, or empty. But it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God says, hey guys, I don't think like you do. And I don't do like you do. Now here's the way we immediately think. We immediately think, yes, God's ways are not like our ways. And His thoughts are not like our thoughts. He's so holy and righteous and glorious and good that it's probably a miracle that He even associates with a worm such as I. Ah, my sins and my wickedness and it just probably is so offensive to the mind of a holy God. It's a stench in His nostrils. It's an amazing thing. that it, I, 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 I'm just glad that if I can just get to heaven by the skin of my teeth, I'll just be gloriously delighted. It's just because His ways are not like my ways. I'm just so far from God. Did you know that has nothing to do with the context of Isaiah 55? Not even remotely close to getting even close to getting close to what God's talking about in Isaiah 55 and yet that's the way we thought about it most of our lives. There's a lot of places in the Bible like that. If you just read the Bible in context instead of letting what somebody said 23 years ago the first time you heard it be the only thing you ever think about it. No matter how good it was, how good the person was who said it. Even if it was me, I've been here that long. I've changed over 20, almost 29 years. Pastor, that's why I don't like you that much anymore because you've changed. I want somebody who doesn't change. Bless the Lord, I feel so sorry for you if you hadn't changed in 29 years. That means you stopped growing somewhere along the way. You stopped listening. Don't change the core issues. You don't change the important things. But everything else should be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to say. But here's what he's saying. In the context of mercy, what have we been talking about? Grace, mercy, Pardon. In the context of grace, mercy, and pardon, God says, hey guys, I don't think like you think. Aren't you glad? How many people would not have had a chance with God if God thought like you? Hmm. (laughs) Do you know you wouldn't have had a chance with God if God thought like some of the people who don't like you? 
Oh, there's plenty of people who are amazed that you're a Christian today. I promise you. I promise you. But God don't think like we do. His thoughts are so much higher. His ways are so much greater than ours. As high as the heavens above the earth. Man, God wants to do so much. Can I tell you something as I close today? Closing number one. Okay, let's just be honest. Can I tell you something though? God did not stop loving His people somewhere along the line. I've got a feeling that if I ask most of the people who have been around the things of God for any length of time, if I ask you, do you think that we're seeing moves of God like what we've seen in the past? Almost everybody in the room that has been around moves of God would say, no, Pastor, we're just, man, it's been a long time since I've seen a real move of God. If I ask most of us in this room who know what revival even means, if I said, do you think we're in need of revival? My hand would be the first to go up, and I think most every hand in the room would say, the church in America is in desperate need of revival. Something's wrong. If I said, do you think something's wrong with the church? Everybody who knows anything about the church has been involved with church would say, yes, something's desperately wrong with the church. And I wouldn't disagree with anybody in the room. However, there may be something wrong with the church. When I say the church, I mean the church period, the church world. But let me promise you, there's not anything wrong with God. And the same God who healed and delivered, the same God who moved and restored, the same God who saved and blessed, He's still the same God and He still sits on the throne today, right now. And He hasn't changed His mind about His people and He hasn't changed His mind about His body of believers, His bride. We are the body of Christ. The church universal is the bride of Christ. Do you think that Christ doesn't love His bride? Oh, He does. So, what's wrong? Well, I don't have all the answers for that one either. I've become gloriously free about not having answers. I just figured out that I don't have to have answers. I'm human like everybody else. And there's a lot of things I don't know. But there are some things I do know, and the things I know hold me like an anchor. And that's what matters. And here's the thing I know. I know that God's ready to move. But I also know that we as a body of believers have looked at events and atmospheres more than we've looked at people. And therefore, for God to move, we've begun to think that we have to have a great event or a perfect atmosphere. When God moved in a fiery furnace for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, let me promise you something, that was not a perfect atmosphere. When God showed up in the lion's den for Daniel, that was far from a perfect atmosphere. When God showed up, and most of the times he showed up in David's life, he was probably in a cave hiding from somebody, his father-in-law who wanted to kill him. That was not a perfect atmosphere or environment. Matter of fact, I challenge you, read the Bible and tell me how many times God showed up in perfect atmospheres. Atmosphere does not inhibit God. It may inhibit you, but it doesn't inhibit God. We don't need to associate what we are and what we think to who God is and what He thinks, number one. Number two, God's more concerned in the process than He is the event. That means God will do great things that we call great events, and those things are wonderful, but God's more concerned in what happens on Monday than He is in what happens on Sunday. I promise you that. Because anybody can have a great event on Sunday when everybody's surrounding you, but what God's interested in is are you whole and are you free and are you growing on Monday when you don't have all this quote-unquote atmosphere. And so here's the thing. His thoughts and his ways are higher. So he said, here's how it works, guys. Do you know in the Bible, every time you read about seed, you're reading about, biblically speaking, the Word. The Word is the seed that you sow. Seed that God sows. So he said, here's the way my word is that goes out of my mouth. It never, never returns void. It never returns empty. It never returns meaningless. It's like the rains that come down from the heavens. They do their work and then they go back up into the heavens. So is my word. 
So here's what God's saying. If you want to see fruit in your life, put the word in your life so that there's a seed for the rain. See, here's the glorious thing. I can't control the rain, and you can't control the rain. Only God controls the rain. He said to pray for God to send rain, both the early and the latter rains. When it's time for rain, we can pray for it, but we can't control it. But you can absolutely control the seed and how much seed you put down in the ground. And here's the deal. And anybody, I'm not a farmer, but i got enough common sense to know this. The more seed, the more fruit. So I can control that part. I can put the seed in the ground and then I can pray for rain. And God who is faithful when rain is really needed will send rain. He's never stopped sending the rain. Well, why aren't we experiencing the blessing? Because we're not planting the seed. That's why. We don't have the seed in the ground that generations before us had in the ground. Do you know why? Because the enemy's figured out how to do it. He's got us so distracted that we don't have time for the seed anymore. We got time for everything else, but we don't have time for the seed. Oh, I remember, I remember days when people would have notebooks out every time church was going on, and they were taking copious notes. And they, they, I remember when, well, now it's CDs, or, or we download it, but I remember that in the days when it was cassette tapes. You remember cassette tapes? Man, you, the people, Christians had their bookshelves full of cassette tapes because they, it wasn't enough to come here preaching on Sunday. They wanted to hear it on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. They'd stay up listening to teaching tapes. And they, they, they were so hungry for the Word of God. They would have their study Bible. They had 12 different kinds of study Bibles. Anybody, your parents had 12 different study Bibles. And then they had the Bible that's one of my favorites where it had four different versions in one Bible. So you could turn the page and you had the Living Bible and the King James Bible and the Revised Standard. I still like that. And, and, but people were so hungry for the Word of God. They would put it in their cars. They'd have it in their cassette player playing along. They'd be listening to the Word of God as they were going to work. And they'd listen to the Word of God when they were coming home. What is that that was all seed seed was going into the ground so that when the rain that we never have been able to you, there was never a church that controlled the rain all they could do was pray for it but God would always send the rain so when the rain came there was seed and then you could have fruit but I don't care how much rain God sends if there's no seed you cannot have fruit does that make sense he says my word won't return void but anything else you're planting in that heart of yours will be empty so we come to church or we go to events expecting rain and God sends it and nothing happens but just for a moment and we wonder why and it's because we got all kinds of other stuff in the soil of our heart but not the seed. And because the seed's not there, there's nothing there to produce fruit. Now you can be refreshed by rain. Listen, boy, I didn't even plan on saying this. You can be refreshed by rain for a moment. Especially if it's really been hot and dry for a while. You can smell that smell of rain. Oh, it can be refreshing. You feel better. It cools everything down. For a moment, it's great. So we come to our altars at our great events. We go to our seminars and our conferences. And the rain falls. And we feel great for a minute. Smells good. Feels good. Cools down. Everything's great. But then the next day, wait a minute. And there's never any fruit. We come home the same. We go to work the same. Why? Because there wasn't seed. There wasn't, listen, never been a problem with the rain. Rain is rain. Never been a problem with God. God sends rain. The problem is you got to have seed. If you don't have seed, you can be refreshed, but you can't produce fruit. Last thing I want to say, last few verses, verse 12. Here's why God wants you to have the seed. Here's why He sends His Word out. Because here's what He wants in your life. You shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. How many of you could use some joy and peace? Isn't it nice to know God wants you to have it? Let me say that again because somebody needed to hear that. And by the way, I don't say that lightly. I know preachers throw out, somebody needed to hear that. That's not why I say that. I believe somebody really does need to hear this. God actually does want you, wants you. He wants you to have joy and peace. So he says, get the seed in. Because if you get the seed in, the rains will come. When the rains come, it will produce fruit. So what will that fruit look like? You'll go out with joy. And you'll be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills, they will break forth and to sing you before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. 
Listen to the verse 13. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall never be cut off. Instead of barrenness, instead of growing weeds, you're going to have real fruit. You're going to have favor. You're going to have life. And it will give glory to God. It's for my name's sake. Otherwise, people can look at your life and say, Wow, something's different. Something's different about their life. I have a low pain tolerance. Anybody who knows me knows that. Probably lower than most guys. I get around most guys and they talk, and I'm like, not me. My wife ever hurts at all? She said, ah, you just push through it. And I'm like, not me. Where's the medicine cabinet? Let's do whatever we need to do. Get rid of it right now. You got a headache? Yeah, what's your pain level? Two. Well, just push it. Now let's take it and leave. I don't want it. zero, zero pain. Now I said all that to say this. <laughs> the other day I was just walking through the grass. All of a sudden my ankle started hurting. It's like, what's wrong? What did I do? I didn't twist my ankle. Anybody who knows me, I don't care what you think when I'm going around. I'm just, if something's wrong. I'm, people probably thought I was having a Holy Ghost fit or I was just crazy. So, Something didn't feel right. And I finally looked down, and you know what I had? A little briar or something had got stuck right on my ankle. Just a little thing. That big. That big. So I grabbed it, pulled it off because it was stuck to me. Threw it away. Man, relief. It's relief. It doesn't take anything really big. See, there are two things. The Bible says faith is like a grain of mustard seed. That's really small. If you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can speak to a mountain, command it to be removed, and it will be cast in the sea. So even small faith can do great things. But let me tell you something else. The Bible talks about sin this way. It's like leaven. He says a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. So even just the smallest lie that you decide to believe, just the smallest little doubt that you decide to take in, just the smallest little idol that you decide to bow to, just the smallest, here's what it does. When you first pick it up, you don't even realize you picked it up. You're just walking along doing whatever you're doing, and you just pick it up without even thinking about it. you're not sometimes you don't even consciously you just picked it up the enemy just kind of there it is it was there you're in the world you pick it up and there it is. but see when you first pick it up you're going to notice something's not quite right that just something don't feel right that just that something's wrong now if, if you if you may be good if you're really sensitive makes me feel good about myself i'm a sensitive person you know you're good if you're really sensitive because you feel you feel that something's not right you're not used to that so you start looking for it see now you could do one of two things you can either find it and get rid of it or you can decide oh well that's just a little old thing i'll leave it there it's no big deal i can listen i can handle that ah it's nothing i can walk with that and you know what you can and that's the sad part. You eventually get used to it and it don't even bother you anymore. It eventually just becomes a part of your walk and a part of your life. And here's the thing. The more you get used to that, the more you can pick up. And the more you can pick up, the more... But eventually it has its effect. So here's the thing. God wants you to have joy and peace and fruitfulness. Instead of barrenness and briars and thorns, He wants you to bear fruit. But you can pick up whatever you decide to. And let me tell you something, the devil will peddle anything you'll buy. And so if you want to listen, if you put your ears in the wrong place, you can pick up any number of things. Initially, you'll feel it, you'll know it. And that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, something's wrong, something's off. Pay attention to this. Listen to me. But, oh, man, I'm busy. I don't have time. It's not a big deal anyway. It don't hurt that bad. See, I, can, I, can go, I don't have time to mess with this. 
And eventually you'll get used to walking with that. Don't do that. Don't do that. God wants you to have joy and peace and fruit in your life. I want you to bow your heads with me today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for the word. I thank you, God, for the power of the word that it doesn't return empty. And Lord, I thank you, God, that you've got a purpose in the word today. And I thank you, you've spoken to hearts. We believe that. Just simply because of who you are. Because of your love for us. God, I know that you send the rain and you're the only one who can. We can pray for it, but you're the only one who can send it. I believe that you're sending rain. God, we may not always feel it. We may not always see it. But you're sending it. God, I pray that we would be a people who plant the seed of your word in our heart. So that when the rain does fall, we can have fruit in our lives. Joy and peace, favor. Your presence, your anointing. Your results, not ours. God, across this room today, for everybody who's been trying to satisfy their thirst from the world around them, it may look like it'll refresh them, but ultimately it'll destroy them. The only thing that can bring real satisfaction and soothe the thirst is the water that comes from above. But that water's flowing. God, I pray that we would stop looking in the wrong places for fulfillment. That we would stop looking in the wrong places to quench our thirst. I pray that we would have ears that hear what you're saying. That we would literally give ear to the right voice. And turn our ear away from the wrong voices. I pray that we would seek you and call upon you while your presence is moving in our lives. And that we would give you plenty of opportunities to do that. Because like David, we would be one who's constantly in pursuit of you. God, I pray that we would not try to project our own thoughts and our own ways upon you, but we would realize your thoughts and your ways are so much higher. God, that when you put your finger on ways and thoughts that are wrong, that, Lord, we'd realize that's only because they're hurting us and you love us and we'd let those things go. And ultimately, God, I pray that we would allow your word to dictate what we believe and where we go. Lord, each heart in this place, I pray that you would speak what's needed in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, first, as always, if you've come into this place today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you don't know Him, you've never given Him your heart, I'm not asking you how many times you've been in church, and I don't even want to really talk about a prayer that you may or may not have prayed. I'm just asking you, have you ever made an exchange? Have you given who you are, the old you, to Jesus so that He can make you new? If you've never done that and you want to do that today, before I pray about anything else, I'd love to pray with you if you would lift your hand in this room. Is there anybody like that? You've never given your heart to Jesus. You've never made that exchange of old for new. And you want to do that today. Would you lift your hand anywhere in this room? Okay. Then for everybody here, you know the Lord. You love Him. But the truth is, You've been looking in the wrong places for fulfillment and satisfaction. You're hungry and you're thirsty, but you know you've been looking in the wrong source. And there's no fruit. You've been waiting for rain and the rains come and you might have been refreshed for a little while, but it never has lasted very long because you've not planted the right seed. So it can't bring fruit. You're giving ear to the wrong voices. If any of those things sound like you, and at that point in the message, God spoke to your heart, then you need to do something with that today. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He's near. That's right now, right here. Not that He won't be. He'll follow you home. But my point is, right now He's speaking to you. Don't put off saying yes. If God's spoken to you about any of those things, maybe it's something you need to let go of. God's been dealing with you for a long time about something you need to forsake. Maybe it's a way. Maybe it's a thought pattern. But you need to let go. And he's spoken to you. And at that point, you knew it. It just quickened in your spirit. Well, now's the time to say yes. If any of that sounds like you, would you lift your hand anywhere in the room? I want to pray for you before we go home today. All right? Okay? Whatever it is, God spoke to you at some point about one of those things. And before you leave this place today, you want to respond to him and say, yes, God. I want to give this to you. I want to say yes to you. Anybody else, just real quickly, lift your hand before we pray. Anybody else, okay? Anybody else anywhere in the room? Okay, can we stand together?
Father, in the name of Jesus right now, I lift up everybody who just lifted their hand. I don't know what part of the message specifically spoke to them. I'm just grateful that the Holy Spirit took that and put it where it needed to be. But God, we're thankful for their response. We're thankful that they have said yes to you. And God, I just thank you, Holy Spirit, for now going to work. That the word that's been planted in their heart today would produce a harvest of change in their life, in that area of their life. We thank you, God, you're the only one who can, but you are more than able. And we just thank you, Lord, that today marks a day of change. It marks transformation. Lord, I thank you it's a turning point for them in this area of their life. We believe that. We confess that with them. We thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you give him praise for his presence and his word today? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can we just sing that chorus through just one time before we go home today? And I surrender all to you, all to you. And I surrender all to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done today. We give you glory and praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you. We're so glad you're here today. Hope you have a great afternoon. Don't forget the leadership class tonight at 6 o'clock. We'd love to have you come back for that. Be blessed. Go in the grace of God.